0: Thank you, all. I think uh, you should all know at this point that we've, you've witnessed something that's extremely rare. We've, de- we've developed the self-moderating panel, which is right on schedule. So I hope that you're building up the self-moderating panel. So I hope that you're building up your questions because we will have a good chunk of time left at the end to uh, gab about whatever you need to gab about. I would like to uh, introduce you now to Ron Grossman, my colleague from the Chicago Tribune, who will tell you about the texture of the city and its richness and its diversity? Uh, For a number of years now, we've been having a spirited and at times wonderfully mean-spirited debate about immigration in the United States. And on the one side are folks who say, unless we seal those borders, those illegal aliens are going to slip across and destroy the fabric of this civilization. On the other side is people who say, to call anybody an illegal alien is to rob them of their selfhood. At the very least, let's talk about the undocumented. On the first side, from the professorial world, of which Charles was nice enough to remind me that I come, is Professor Samuel Huntington of Harvard, who uh, wrote a book a few years ago saying that there was an inevitable clash between other civilizations and Western civilizations because the values are incompatible. This year he has a new book out which says roughly, and I pray see you here, forget about the Muslims, it's the Mexicans we've we got to worry about. Now in that debate about immigration, good or bad, I have a very simple, straightforward position based on nothing more than sheer personal laziness. When I go out for a nice meal, you know, a lamb chop, a piece of fish, I don't want to clean up after myself. I don't want to take the dishes back to the kitchen, and I certainly don't want to go back there and wash those dishes afterwards. I have a very dear friend uh, who's an entrepreneur in the Italian community in Chicago, himself an immigrant. And he says, without a, without a hint, without a hint of self-consciousness or speaking in humor, he says, "You know, Ron, these days you can't run a, 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 an Italian restaurant without Mexicans back in the kitchen cooking." Now, y- you could say that my position is simple-minded on something highly complex, but in my own defense, let me add that. That has been the position of the movers and shakers of Chicago almost since the very beginning. As early as the middle point of the 19th century, our newspaper, Charles Mine, and I hope that, that Dixel thinks of it as his, was editorially calling on the uh, federal government to encourage people to come from abroad and hopefully to Chicago, even to the point of providing them with financial help to do that. In the the period between the wars, uh, there was a reaction against immigrants and foreigners in this country, uh, and they passed restrictive quotas on immigration. But the vision of Chicago's leaders remained the same. In the 1920s, the uh, Chicago Chamber of Commerce put out a book called What Our Foreign Policy Should Be, and it said, we have to realize that it's a global economy. That was 150 years. That was. I'm sorry. That was 80 or 90 years before that. They were, they were already on to that. In my chapter in the book, what I say is that the question of the book is: Chicago a global city? I don't know the answers from the other standpoints, but from the simple human drama of it, it is a global city because it was an. It always was a global city. It was because, uh, let me, because of a peculiar factor in our history. When the Industrial Revolution hits a country, you have to persuade people to leave the countryside and come into cities and work in factories. As all of us who have done that know, it isn't a lot of fun. Unless there's a countervailing reason the other way around, people will not do that. In the case of the United States, this was a sparsely populated country. This was the Wild West as late as the 1850s. And when the Homestead Act made free land available out on the frontier, you couldn't get native-born Americans to come into Chicago and work. As a result, when Cyrus McCormick started building those reapers, when George Pullman started building the sleeping cars that revolutionized transport, they found that in order to get a labor force, they had to send their agents back to Europe to recruit people who, to come here. In the case of Chicago, we imported human beings almost like other countries import raw materials for manufacture. Chicago was long advertised around uh, the poor parts of Europe, as a place where anybody willing to work would never be out of a job. That fate was established already in the latter part of the 19th century. It continues on till today. My great-grandmother had a little apple orchard outside of Białystok in Poland. She sensed that the time for uh, Jewish people in that part of the world was coming to close. I don't know where she got the idea from. She was not an educated woman. Uh, And so every year when there was a surplus left over from the harvest, uh, she bought a a steamship ticket and sent another child to America uh, and to Chicago. The first one happened to go in the company of another family. You couldn't send a child across the ocean by himself. And that family's name was Weinberg. Our family in in Europe was Klaminovich. When they got to Ellis Island, they checked them all in, and then they said, and who's the other boy? And they said something like, Nach Weinberg, another Weinberg. That's how we became the Komunowitsch Weinbergs of Bialystok and Chicago. Many years later, uh, during the period when the uh, Soviets were letting out uh, some folks, uh, I met a man who had been the president of the Moscow Hot Jazz Club. He had gotten out and gotten to Vienna, and then you had to sign up for where you're going to go to and they mentioned some cities, and he said, Chicago, that was good enough for the jazz men. I'll go there, too. Because of that steady role of immigrants coming here looking for uh, jobs, uh, Chicago became less of a city than a collection of ethnic villages, each living in a kind of uneasy truce with each other. Chicago became the second largest Polish-speaking city on Earth. Notice, I didn't say in the United States, on Earth, save only for Warsaw. It was the third, became the third largest Greek-speaking community. Uh, it's the largest Lithuanian-speaking community because of what the Russians did to the homeland. And right down the line, just an accumulation of ethnic voices like you've never heard any place before. That was the destiny of Chicago, and I would argue that it remains the destiny of Chicago. But there is a complicating factor in being able to see that. In that, by the particular standards of American culture, you're not a true American until you shed that identity of having come from any place else remember that those little books that we studied in the first grade are dick and jane i went to a school i never knew a dick i never do a jane They were rachels <laughs> and shmuels etc <laughs> so that as part of the process as each immigrant group comes through the city and makes a f- toho for itself and begins to move out for the periphery they quickly learn that the price of really saying you've made it in America is to shed some of that identity. Let me give you an example from family history. About 10 years ago, my uh, my father and my uncle were walking through a shopping center in the Bay Area of San Francisco. This was at a time when the uh, so-called boat people were arriving in large numbers from uh, Southeast Asia. And my father turned to my uncle at one point and said, A ganze Tag, men hortnisch ein Wort English. Now, as I suspect, there may be a few non-Yiddish speakers in the audience. Let me translate that. My father said to my uncle, In a whole day here, you wouldn't hear one word, English. Well, when my parents came back from vacation and told the story, I fell down literally laughing. My father looks at me and says, what are you doing? Me like a fool, I spent 20 minutes trying to explain to my father that there's something funny about ragging on other people for not speaking English and doing it in another language. He couldn't get it. (laughs) He was now an old settler... And his Yiddish was the equivalent of English. It was those other ones that had alerted. Because of attitudes like that, we did get th- that dip in immigration to Chicago as a result of uh, those uh, immigration quotas. Uh, but then in the last 20 years, it's picked up again and with a mighty force. We now have in Chicago uh, languages spoken that were never hear, heard here before, like Assyrian and Hmong, etc. cetera. Um, when the 2000 census came out, I played around with the numbers a little bit. And I said, if you hold, take out of the population of Chicago for the, for the moment, mentally subtract uh, the Afro Americans, because African Americans were ripped out of their culture sent here in chains, they didn't have a chance to preserve a linguistic alternative. If you hold them out for just a second, one half of all the remaining households in Chicago speak a language other than English, 51%. They may speak something else, but their language of comfort when they come home at night and sit around the table is something other than English. Chicago was and remains a global city in terms of the sheer magnetic force it's exerted to draw people here. There is one new factor that I would like to leave you with. The deal was, historically, that other parts of the world would supply the brawn and the people who were here or their children would supply the brains. That seems to be changing. If you look at institutions of scientific research or technology, you find that a great number of people now in the scientific fields, in the technological fields, are, are now coming from abroad. Simply do not produ- produce enough high school graduates who want to or are capable of studying science. You go to any hospital, and the number of Dr. Patels is enormous. You have to say Patel radiology, Patel arthrology, etc., cetera, et cetera, That's a different situation, because those skills that they bring here and hone, they could transport back again, i.e., we might be training and honing the, an intelligentsia that, as the rest of the world develops, goes back, and begins to supply the brain power to their countries that we formerly had here. Let me leave you with a pair of statistics. If you survey uh, laboratories, hospitals, or scientific degree programs in America right now, one half of all the participants are foreign-born. If you look at the roster of Major League Baseball players, one half of those baseball players are foreign-born. I ask you, can we survive, Chicago or other cities, a situation in which half of our mental force, of our scientific mental force, is imported, and half of our brawn and brain force that it can hit breaking balls is imported? Would this be about the Cubs? or?